Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and indeed around the world. However, you got our show today, downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using a smartphone podcast app or listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Thank you so much for having us. Later on, we're going to be hearing why this has been a bad week for boards.ie and Twitter. Vodafone go head-to-head with Serview. And our guest interview this week is with a Galway man with millions of online students who wants to teach the world for free. But first, joining me is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Niall, we're starting off the show, and indeed, the new year, with the perennial favourite of pathetic passwords. Pathetic passwords, yeah. Well, Splash Data do an annual report of, you know, the worst passwords in the world, and they've released theirs for uh, 2015. They, they come up with this by analysing two million stolen passwords, and they pluck out the broad trends and see which ones are particularly egregious. So um, would you care to hazard a guess at the worst password in the world, and it is unchanged from oh, last year? Oh, God. Uh, I can't remember what they were, but I, I swear to God, Yesterday, I was helping somebody with a tech problem and I said, what's the password for your computer? I kid you not. One, two, three, four, five, six. Ta-da! That is number one on the list of the worst passwords in the world. I didn't think people use that anymore. Was that, and that's what I said to the guy. I said, are you thick as two planks or what? <laughs> and that's yep. the number one bad password. Oh, good God. What that else is, is on that list? bad password. Okay, well... Go- have a guess at number two. You've got, you've got the worst one. What would number two be? Ah, uh, uh, the person's na- uh, password. Yes, it is actually password. <laughs> 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 ah, yeah. Go on, g- g- so, give, give okay, me three other ones. <clears throat> okay, the three that really stood out for me. Number seven on the list. It's up three spaces on, on last year. Football is, uh, is there. Um, at number 11 overall is Welcome which is there. And it's important to stress, none of these are mixing up, you know, capital letters or symbols or anything like that. These are just written in straight away. Um, Number 25, the 25th worst password in the world, Star Wars. (laughs) And uh, just going through the list, you know, there's a lot of pattern stuff and, you know, a lot of variations on one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, all going all the way up to nine, just to really confuse people. Um, And making a reappearance at number 21, the very so delicate princess. Ah, uh, listen, so, there has to be ways around. You must have a couple of, I, I have a couple of ideas, you have a couple of ideas on how to create better passwords easily. Yeah, okay, right. There, there's a, a couple of very simple ways to do this. Um, and a lot of it is based on the, the idea that, you know, the most basic form of password theft is through what they call a dictionary attack, which is where, you know, a piece of malware just throws every word in the dictionary and assumes that eventually it's going to hit pay dirt with you. Um, so the very first thing that you should do is add capitals, add numbers, add symbols, anything just to take your word away from being, you know, a recognizable word from the dictionary into being something more abstract. And it could be something as simple as replacing, you know, the vowels at numbers or adding superfluous characters on the end, like a bunch of forward slashes or a bunch of, uh, a bunch of asterisks or something. They, they call that padding, just adding on superfluous elements to the end of a password just to make it longer. Okay. So uh, that's that's my first tip. My second tip is instead of a word, use a phrase like uh, I'm sitting at my computer or 
going for a drink or something like that, something easily remembered, but it's not a word. So it's not going to be in the dictionary either. So um, those are my two simple um, tips. You've got one as well. You've, you've got a strategy. Uh, I have a strategy. It's the one that I always say, and you know what? It works brilliantly. It's think of your favorite song and the first line from that song. Okay, so everyone can sing a song and they can sing the first line of the song and then just use the first letter from each of those words. Yep. Now you've got a password that makes absolutely no sense. If you really want to then do some padding, I think that's a brilliant idea by putting some uh, forward slashes or backward slashes or exclamation marks or whatever uh, at the start and at the end. Or you could use that same password for every site, but make it completely different for every site by using the first two letters of the website and the last two letters of the website at the start and end of your password. So if it was Facebook you were going to, it would be uh, F-A, whatever it is, your song password makes and then uh, um, uh, okay at the end yep makes sense nice makes sense. or the other thing that I have found uh, that I am using more and more is a thing called KeyPass which is a simple password uh, locker if you like uh, and keep that on your computer because many different websites have many different passwords and some of them give you passwords some of them have different rules for passwords and all that kind of stuff you can put everything into that one little uh, safety piece of software all right. oh and and one final piece of uh, piece of very important information where possible use two factor authentication because even if somebody gets your password you know to prove that it's a human and not a bot just make it slightly more difficult um it's usually something like you know the pick pick the last few digits of your your phone number or something like that and you might get a text saying x is trying to log into your computer from, from somewhere is this you yes or no now just to prove that there are bad people in the world it hasn't been a good week for boards.ie Boards.ie and uh, and also the National Lottery website as well. They've both suffered the same fate uh, this week. Um, so uh, on Wednesday, you're not a lottery man, are you, Dusty? Not really. Not really, no. Neither am I, I have to say. The House always wins in these things in the end. But um, yeah, on Wednesday, uh, where there was um, the biggest jackpot for, for 18 months, there was a 12 million euro jackpot. Uh, once again, the gaming system um, went down. Website and ticket machines across the country were subject to a distributed denial of service attack, basically overloading the uh, website and the terminals, making them fairly useless. Um, Unfortunately, um, the good news with all these attacks is that it is literally just masses and masses of unwanted traffic clogging up up the website. It doesn't actually compromise the system. They don't actually break anything. They they don't actually steal your data or anything like that. Um, It just makes websites unusable. So um, that was the National Lottery website, suffered it on Wednesday. And uh, if you're a boardsy, and I know an awful lot of people are because it's one of the most used websites in Ireland. Are Are you a boardsy, Dusty? Do you lurk? Uh, I'm a lurker on boards. I'm not. I'm not yeah. a writer. If if you want to find out what the country thinks about something, just go to boards. It's it's actually pretty reliable. Um, just just to see what people are talking about, if if not the actual content of how people are talking about it. But um, yep, boards. Sunday the seventeenth. Um, a distributed denial of service attack started. Um, this has gone on until uh, Wednesday. On Mon- the previous Monday, one kind of critical on the website just uh, went down. You might have noticed it if you were logging on and you might find the site has gotten very slow, might needed you know, three or four refreshes just to get to a page. Uh, and of course, when it came to actually posting something, people just were not able to do so whatsoever. The site basically became unusable. Now, there is sort of a good news in a sense in that uh, both both of these problems were dealt with um, at a technical level. Very often what happens is that um, a website will be targeted by a DDoS attacker and, uh, you know, the owner of the website will get an email saying, you know, pay us X amount of Bitcoin uh, or else we're just going to keep doing this and your site will be unusable forever. 
sometimes people pay it, sometimes people don't, uh, and hope to write it out. And um, you know, it's it's something that happens. Um, but you know, when it comes to DDoS attacks, you could be an unwilling participant or an unknowing participant. Um, you're you're familiar with how DDoS attacks works, aren't you, Dusty? See, essentially, when you get a virus on your computer, one of the things that'll do is it can be kicked off to get your computer to ping that website over and over and over again. And they do this with millions and millions of computers around the world, which is why you get millions of people trying to hit boards.ie all at the same time. Yeah, and, and, you know, these are people who don't even know their computers have been hijacked. So, you know, botnets are basically networks of thousands of computers around the world that at some stage, you know, had been uh, exposed to some dodgy software, either through a, an unpatched website or nasty download a piece of malware, something just to connect all these computers together. They're managed by a central command and control center, possibly somewhere in Russia. I know that happens. <laughs> uh, who who then launch attacks on people uh, and or companies that they think can afford to to spend a little bit of money to get their lives back. So that's but how it works. Listen, good, good good ending to that in that at least they uh, they got it sorted. But of course, where did they make the announcement that they were suffering a DDoS attack? Of course, on Twitter. Where else do people go to communicate these uh, days? And why, and why why did nobody hear about it? <laughs> Uh, well, on Tuesday, if you wanted to hear anything on Twitter, you were in for a bad day because yeah. on Tuesday morning, uh, it, it was actually an eight-hour delay, uh, an eight-hour incident. But I only noticed it um, for the duration of the morning, probably mm. because it's you, you know it's a uh, west coast of America, so you know they're on a, a slightly different time scale to us. But apparently, some dodgy code was used on the website, and the whole thing came tumbling down for eight hours. Uh, what what did a lot of people do on Twitter for that period of time? I have to admit, I spent fair bit of time wondering when Twitter was coming back. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people with boards.ie down and with Twitter not working, I'd say a lot of work got done on Tuesday. <laughs> Actually, do, do you know what happened? Do you know where I'd say quite a few people went? Go on, where? Reddit. There is actually a thread on Reddit discussing boards being down. Rushing off to sell their shares in Twitter, I'd say it would be another one. Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, Twitch, Twitter has to start behaving like a grown-up company. It can't afford these kind of outages, especially one one of the problems that it's had over the past year is sort of getting new users. If the website comes across as being, you know, a little bit slipshod or, you know, every so often you're going to have an outage and there's nothing you can do about it, who wants to join a website like that? So um, uh, as as of this morning, Thursday, when I was doing my research for this piece, the share price was in and around, it was just under $17, which is not great because if you just sort of looking at Twitter in its, in its pomp, it was sort of uh, selling shares at $30 a pop. So, you know, that's quite a significant downturn. So not good news for Twitter. Something in. Now, listen, let's get into uh, some good news because I love playing with uh, TV. And uh, Serview have launched a brand new service this week. Tell us about it. Yeah, now this is kind of fun in that there there are two new developments in uh, in television, largely covering the same degree of functionality, different content offerings, but same functionality broadly. Um, and one, they they happen to come into my inbox within an hour of each of each other. Go figure. <laughs> so this is Serview talking about Vodafone on the, on the other side of the uh, uh, the thing. Tell me about Serview though. This, the new service from Serview is called Serview Connect. What exactly does it do? Yeah, Serview Connect. This this basically brings in an awful lot of um, on-demand functionality, but also the ability to record, pause, um, playback, start from shows all over again. Sort of the kind of stuff that you're used to doing with your with your Skybox, I suppose, mm. which was considered revolutionary not so long ago. So um, Serview Connect is based on FreeSat's metaphor 
IPTV platform. So this isn't a, a technology that they've dreamt up from scratch. This is something that's been brought in from the UK. So it's kind of a proven product. Um, so what's going to happen is you're going to plug your aerial, which you're using at the moment, into this box. The box plugs into your broadband and your television. And from here, that's that's where you really start managing your content, um, pretty much in the same way you do your your Skybox or your your Virgin Media. Ah, I got it, I got it, I got it. So that means then that because uh, I get a bit, a bit confused when you say FreeSat. So FreeSat in the UK have this uh, service up and uh, up and running, but you don't need a satellite. Essentially, what's happening is that Serview is broadcasting a menu to your television set, and then depending on what you choose from the menu, it actually gets it from your broadband connection. Am I right? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, yeah. and you need to get a special Serview Connect box that will do this. It, if you have Serview receiver built into your television set, it ain't going to work on that. You need to get the Connect box. You you need the Connect box. You need the, that intermediary. Uh, okay. We've no word on price yet. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually slightly, um, I imagine there's an MPEG-4 tuner in the box as well. Uh, oh, yes, I would say so. And it's probably able to record stuff while you're watching another channel on, on, on your TV. It does make yeah. sense, actually. Yes, I'll tell you, we'll be ma- I'll be making a trip to the stores this weekend to check well, that the, out. Well, the only thing is, we don't know when Serview Connect is coming out. Ah! The annoying thing. Ah! You're, you're a tease, Niall Kitson. You're a tease. Uh, I was tell me about, it really well. Tell, tell, me, tell me about the other television service from uh, Vodafone that landed in your inbox this week. Okay, Vodafone TV, which we which you actually can sign up for at the moment. Uh, it had sort of a fairly biggish uh, launch in Dublin during the week. And as I said, with, with Serview Connect, you've got uh, the ability to pause, rewind, uh, record live television. Uh, it comes, the uh, box itself comes with the ability to record about 300 hours of standard definition television. But what they're saying is that... Um, their content offering includes not just not just the box, but straight out of the box, you've got um, 55 channels, uh, all in H, well in HD where available. So you know if you have a choice between RT1 and RT HD, immediately you're getting the HD option, which is kind of cool. Uh, unfortunately, it's only usable if you're uh, if you're a home broadband user of Vodafone with a connection better than 40 megabits per second. Uh, I don't know how many people that actually rules in or in or out, but uh, one of the nice little functions is that there is one-touch access to Netflix for your, your remote control, uh, which is a feature. I Have I seen this elsewhere before? I, I think I've seen it in the States anyway. Um, have you? I haven't seen it in Ireland, no. No, not not built into a, um, a TV. We've got a Samsung TV and there's a, a smart TV button on that. And you click that and you get the, the Netflix app, but not an actual Netflix button on the remote. I, I've never seen that. Yeah. Okay, right. A couple of other things that are that are in there. Um, there's a seven day catch up service, so uh, it's it's kind of you know like a, a full player um, built in uh, to your to your box uh, without having to go to you know three player or, or T catch up. It's got what they call fast channel switching. I don't know if you noticed that when when you're watching Serview, it can take a second for uh, for a channel to load up. Um, this is over the internet, and apparently the channel changing is pretty quick on it. Um, you can also restart programs from any point. Also. When you sign up, you have uh, an option. You're presented with three options, and you can you can take two uh, with the uh, with the basic package. Um, you, the basic package: 55 channels uh, with Netflix or um, BT and Satanta Sports together. Um, so that's 40 euro going up to 70. Uh, for the plus package, you get a choice of two from Netflix, uh, sports, or multi-room viewing. Uh, and that starts at 40 euro going up to 80. Uh, of course, what's common to both uh, Serview Connect and Vodafone TV is there will be iOS and Android apps for them both. So you'll be able to watch your television outside um, 
like the house, which is nice. Um, I have to say, uh, it's of the two offerings, Vodafone TV is quite, it's got a nice marketing campaign. It's quite slickly presented. Mm. Um, it is nice that you get 55 channels straight out of the box with it. Um, that would sort of push it, push it over the, um, over the edge for me. But if it's a choice of a one-off price for a survey box or, you know, a monthly subscription for a TV service, I know which way I'm leaning um, because I, I still find that, you know, un, unless there's a really good content well, offering. Yeah, I, I think the problem for a lot of people, do you know it's very hard to find because they're two completely uh, and not compatible systems is to have Serview and uh, FreeSat uh, or, or satellite television receivers built into the same telly. There's very few around. The only one that I've found, because I've bought one last week, uh, is a Walker TV. Uh, uh, a what, you say? Who cares? Um, it's kind of an Irish company. They they just, it's it's a brand badging uh, kind of a thing. Um, but I bought one of the tellies. 240 quid it cost me for 32-inch LED TV. Uh, I won't say where because then that would be advertising. Um, and I set it up. And you know what? It's okay, but the fact is, there's no subscription, and it's free, and I love it for that, all right? Anyway, listen, there we go. That's all our news for this week. Thank you, Niall. Okay. Now, while we're still early on into the new year, and as we hear the gentle sound of gym membership cash tills ringing away, on Tech Radio, we're turning our attention to learning in 2016. Now, you may be aware of an American website called lynda.com who do a lot of kind of tech-related video-based online learning. But have you heard of alison.com? Alison.com is better, or different and better, I think, in two ways. Because firstly, it's based in Galway. Yay. And number two, it's completely free. They've got 5 million students signed up so far, over half a million graduates and are about to take on the US market. To find out more about it, joining us from Galway is Mike Fierick. Uh Mike, can you tell me about how Alison.com came about? Oh, hi, Dusty. Uh, where did Alison start? Um, it started, I guess, in some experience that I had in philanthropy uh, about 10, 15 years ago, where I saw a lot of money being spent in education. And at the end of the day, uh, no amount of charity or philanthropy could generate uh, the type of equity of access that society really needs. And I was looking for a way to use technology to make education free. And about 10 years ago, I realized that the way costs were going down in terms of broadband was going down and the ability, your ability to create high quality but relatively cheaply uh, good quality learning uh, was was increasing, and then the ability to put ads on a page and make money, which was the you know the development of AdWords, and between the two of those, you could see how you could put learning on 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 the web for free. And not only would it be a good business, an interesting business, highly scalable, uh, but also it would have a, a very significant social impact. So, I had a small company that had that was selling courses for ECDL, which many of your learners might, or listeners might be familiar with, uh, the European Computer Driving License. And um, we were charging people like a typical online course uh, provider. Uh, you know, I think it was 20 quid a head for like groups of 50. And I just decided, look, one day, talked to the wife and said, look, we're going to put this online for free because this is the future. And also look what we could do socially with it. And we started off and that was, that was April 2007, although... The idea of how to start Alicent came to me about 10 years ago at Christmas time in December 2005. But it took us a while to change the whole model and change the website. So April 2007, we launched with our first learner who came from Germany. 
And uh, we're now uh, well on our way to uh, 7 million learners, actually, and uh, signing up about 200,000 people a month. So it's moved on a lot. So you're an entrepreneur. You're the kind of person who uh, is able to see things now that will become an issue in a number of years' time. And as you say, 10 years ago, you were thinking about online learning. The internet has changed hugely since then. Broadband has changed. Tablets have come along, mobile phones. How has all this changed the process of learning? Because before the year 2000, you went to school. There were books. You, you attended a lecture, that kind of stuff. How is learning in 2016 different from that? The, the fact is that years ago, knowledge was behind a wall and it was inside particular people's head. And, and you paid to get access to those that information in these people's heads in universities and colleges and schools. The fact is now that you don't you can go through the walls because the Internet comes to you and then that the information that we used to be in these people's heads is now all around the place. So the idea that that learning is precious and is restricted and retained by by a small number of people, that's just been blown away by the Internet. So today you have people that, you know, coming out of secondary school and they think that the logical thing is to go off to college. But given another four or five years and people will be saying, actually, that's kind of a waste of my time. I have to hang around listening to professors who are probably second rate telling us very, very old information that's out of date and charging me a lot of money when I can actually go now, go on the Web, learn this stuff and move on and maybe create a business or uh, go someplace else. And it's just slowing me down. So the fact is that you don't have to prescribe to a particular course, start on a particular date, get professors that you never individually hired and pay an awful lot of money. You know, learning is pretty much out of the stable. It's free now. And um, uh, there's a lot of good courses, of course, many, many hundreds of them on Allison that people can access for free now. But what's what's coming and it's coming on Allison as well is the ability for a subject matter expert to come on and create their own course. Tell me about uh, interactive learning. When you when you say interactive learning, what can, what do you mean by interactive? Describe to me a course where this is employed. Uh, the courses are uh, interactive multimedia or video based. Uh, when you do them, they're either a certificate or a diploma. Certificates around an hour and a half to two and a half hours long. Diploma is somewhere between nine and 11 hours. And you have to pass an assessment. When you get 80% right in your assessment, you're now an Allison graduate. Because what we've tried to do at Allison is, uh, as part of the social mission, is to make sure that you can, that anyone can learn for free and that anyone can get certified for free. See, just on the whole business model of how we work, we do not insist that anyone has to buy a parchment, a physical parchment to say that they're certified because there are people around the world who simply can't afford them. And we we have, you know, we have millions of people in Africa now and, uh, you know, in some parts of Africa, you know, even a dollar is a lot. Tell, tell me more about the qualifications. What kind of qualifications do you offer on the completion of a course? Okay. Well, the qualifications are all issued from Allison. So we, we do not align uh, directly with uh, national standards. Um, there's a main reason for that is that if we did, we'd have to go to the university system and nearly have to pay royalties to whoever's giving us the, the, um, the accreditation. Yeah. So what we've said is, look, let's start off. Let's, let's have high quality courses. Let's get a lot of people certifying with us. And over a period of time, people get confident that saying, hey, you know what, the standard here is quite high and it's it's good enough for my needs. Mm. And 
I often say that, you know, at Harvard, John Harvard started Harvard University. Well, the day that he started, it wasn't the Harvard University that we know today. It was just a guy in a room with a bunch of books, but he was a very good teacher. <laughs> and over time, a reputation developed. So that was our that was our start with Alison. We'd say we'd get out there and just prove what we could do. And now, if somebody is comes up with an Alison certificate, particularly in the likes of the UK, where we have nearly a million learners now, uh, most employers will know what an Alison certificate or an Alison diploma is. And uh, so we've built up the reputation the hard way. One thing that I don't see from the website, and you've mentioned your business model many times, is that there is no charge on the website for doing any of the courses. Anybody can register for free, go through the course and finish it and and have a qualification. If you want to buy a certificate and paper, okay, we get it. You pay a few quid for that. But how do you make your money? Yeah, a lot of people ask us that. Actually, we do quite well. Um, we're completely self-funded. We're a profitable company and we don't need any uh, VC coming in to us. Um, how we make money is, well, we lost, first of all, we lost a lot of money for many years. I always knew that, uh, well, I had faith that if you could get millions of people on the platform, that even if you made a couple of cents from each of them, uh, it would actually become substantial. So, until such time as we got to get a million learners, we were losing money. And I think we hit a million learners in 2011. But once we hit that, and once we hit a critical mass of courses, so I think once we had over two, two, 250 courses, then you have the economies of scale coming in. So every day we have tens of thousands of people using the website. And when they visit the website, the odd few click an advertisement. Now, only half our revenues come from advertising or even less, but enough do to pay for the rest. The other, we, we do charge for parchments. If, if somebody is certified and they want to get a physical parchment, well, that's nice to have, not a need to have, and they, we pay for, we charge for them. But we try and keep it nominal because um, we want to be a very low cost, free uh, environment in which to learn. Tell me what's next for you, Mike? What's next is Alison is an awful long way to go and it's getting very exciting. We just had a phenomenal year and we've, um, you know, we're signing up nearly 200, uh, no, over two, over 200,000 people a month. So that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people anywhere. And, um, you know, there's, there's new opportunities coming. Uh, we're, we're certainly working on publishing. So to allow people to be able to publish on their own on the platform, but, um, there are solutions out there. We don't reckon that they're as good as what we might come up with. Uh, so that, that's part of the vision that we had 10 years ago is to not only allow everyone to learn for free, but allowing everyone to teach for free. And, and that's a fundamental change in civilization <laughs> because uh, it's something that we haven't been smart enough in, in our history of humanity to be able to allow everyone to teach. And the colleges and universities who, who, who today and in the past have been seen as, you know, residences of knowledge, they will look so archaic and so minuscule uh, in, in the face of this tidal wave of knowledge that's been shared out there that really, you know, they will be transformed into, um, you know, uh, holiday homes for kids coming from one country to another. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. I mean, it's been fantastic learning about Alison.com and, you know, I was expecting it to be a website and learning and to be a business and stuff like that. But the reason you started it and where you're going with it is such a, an, an incredible bonus. It's, it's, it's really been a pleasure and I wish you the very, very best of it. And I heartily recommend everybody take a look at Alison.com before you go to bed. 
tonight. And one plug, Dusty, why is that we desperately need engineers. So if you'd like to join us, come talk to us. Wow, excellent. Is there an email address that people can uh, uh, get you on? Simply careers at alison.com. Careers at alison.com. Mike Fierig, thank you very much. Take care, Dusty. Thank you. And that's it for this week's show. Niall, what's our one more thing for this week? Yeah, well, cautionary tale from Los Angeles when uh, one, two drone pilots actually got on the wrong side of the law. Oh, what do they do and what happened to them? You'll get that story and more at techcentral.ie where you can keep in touch with Irish Tech News, uh, hourly updates and daily newsletters and more. You'll also get our weekly tech radio show online right there and, of course, every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 X Jones. Next week, from Nile Kitson and myself, Dusty Rhodes, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.